been given the reins after the passing of Moses, he needed some encouragement. And God tells him here in Isaiah, chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, Be strong and of good courage, for this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. So part of being strong and courageous is walking in absolute obedience to God. Do not turn it from it to the right hand or the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Notice God mentions that several times here. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now during this time we know that um, our movements are being restricted for our own protection. And yet we find ourselves needing to go perhaps to the pharmacy, the grocery store. There are some essential travel needs that we have which is going to put us in contact with other people in the public arena. But we have a promise here from God as we keep our eyes on Him, as we walk in obedience to Him, that He will go with us wherever we go. So be bold, be strong, be courageous. Because you know what? When you go to the gas station, the grocery store, the pharmacy, or you go to your favorite fast food place for drive through service, Jesus is there with you. He doesn't stay back at the house. He's with you wherever you go. I wanted to encourage you with that this morning. And the other thing that God brought to my remembrance this past week was when the children of Israel were preparing to leave Egypt and God was giving them instructions for the Passover meal that they were to celebrate before their departure. They were supposed to be ready at the drop of a hat at a moment's notice. But in the meantime, they were instructed, each family to sacrifice a lamb and have that Passover meal. But what they were to do with the blood of the lamb was to put it over the lintels of their home, over the doorway. And they notice if you put blood on the top and on the sides, it forms a cross. And so God promised the Israelites that if they would do that, that the death angel that was coming to kill the firstborn of virtually every family in Egypt not just humans, but the animal kingdom, every living thing that did not have the blood over the doorway, would be, their life would be taken. And so as we see, sadly, people succumbing to this virus, not large numbers yet in the U.S., and we hope and pray that that doesn't happen, and our thoughts and prayers certainly go out to those who have suffered a loss at this time, but I want to remind everyone that Again, God's promise of protection, I would encourage you, if you are a believer, take comfort in that. If you have opened your heart and your mind to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you received him as your Lord and Savior, then his blood is covering the doorway to your heart. If you've not done that, I would encourage you this morning to receive Christ as soon as possible. And our hope and our prayer is that during this time of crisis, many people would turn to God open up their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ 
Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him, dine with him, have fellowship with him, and he with me. It's that simple. You can invite Christ into your life at this very moment. In fact, I'm going to take a moment and pray a very simple prayer that you might want to pray with me. If you have not received Christ at this time, be a good time to do it. And then you know that no matter what happens, you're prepared for eternity. You're prepared to meet God face to face. So I'm going to pray that prayer. I would invite you, if you have not been born again, if you've not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray with me now. Father, I thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for me, to pay the price for my sins. And Father, I do confess to you right now that I am a sinner, that I've sinned many times in many ways, but I thank you that your great love, grace, and mercy has been exhibited to me by the sacrifice of your Son on the cross. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to come and live inside of me, to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I desire to be born again, to become a child of God, and to receive the precious gift of eternal life that you offer to everyone who receives you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Give me wisdom, give me guidance, give me strength, and take all fear from me, as you have promised in your word that your perfect love would cast out all fear. Thank you for the precious gift of salvation, Father. I pray in Jesus' name. And I would encourage you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, Nikki had mentioned that you could send in comments. Is that over Facebook only, or can they do that on the other stream as well? Either stream? Okay, so you can comment there. We'd love to hear from you. And if you want us to contact you and encourage you in your new faith, give us a means to do that, and we will certainly do that. We've been studying the book of Jude... Last week, we only covered one verse, but that's okay. As we get into the meat of God's Word, I think we all know it takes a little more effort to chew up and digest a steak than it does to eat a bowl of ice cream. And so we want to just take it a few bites at a time, make sure that we properly chew it up and digest it. So but we're going to cover three verses this morning, uh, verses 17 through 19. Let me read those now, and then we'll pray. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ, or the apostles, plural, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that once again we have the opportunity to study your word together whether it be live in person or over the internet, we are thankful that you've given us this opportunity, that we still have the freedom to publicly proclaim your name and to read your word and to study your word. We ask you to bless this time of Bible study now. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a shifting of gears here with Jude. He spent quite a bit of time uh, telling his readers, believers, about these men who have crept in unnoticed into the body of Christ to bring in deception, false teaching, divisions, and so forth. Now he turns to the true believers. He says, but you, beloved, 
So in contrast to Jude's repeated use of the word these, over and over again in this one chapter book, he refers to these creeps, we call them, these, and he gives us a number of descriptive phrases to describe their character. In contrast to the repeated use of the word these, these creeps, these dreamers, brute beasts, blemishes, he calls them, clouds without water, etc., he now addresses his beloved. And the Greek word here is agapetoi or agapetoi. It, if you probably noticed, it's connected to the word agape, which is God's unconditional love. Agape is unconditional love, no strings attached. Just the kind of love that Christ displayed for us on the cross. Jude refers to his brothers and sisters in Christ as agapetoi, my beloved, those that love me and I love them unconditionally. That's the love of Christ. That's the way of agape. That's how he refers to them. And again, we see this word that is being used by various New Testament writers. Remember. Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles. Now, you can't remember something you've never heard, right? And so the assumption here is that these believers that Jude is writing to have indeed been exposed to, have listened to the words of the apostles. And so, again, anyone can be saved in the twinkling of an eye. As we prayed that prayer this morning, all you have to do is confess your sins to God, receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can be forgiven, you can be born again in a moment, in an instant. But if your desire is to truly be a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, to have a relationship with God, that requires consistent exposure to and even saturation, I would say, with the Word of God. So Jude is calling upon these believers to remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles. Oftentimes, when we are exposed to the teaching of God's Word, like we're doing here this morning, Believers will find themselves saying, oh yeah, I remember that, because you've read it before, you've heard it before, but because there's so much going in and out of our brains every day, we need to be reminded. But, again, you can't be reminded if you've never heard it before. So it's important that we are spending time regularly in the Word of God. We'll get into that more in a moment. Remember the words which were spoken before by whom? Again, there's a lot of people out there saying a lot of different things, right? And even as some people are tuning in this morning to our live stream, to our Facebook stream, and then some later on may watch via YouTube, there's a massive amount of teaching, or so-called teaching, going out over the internet and through other medium, cable television, satellite. There's a whole lot being spoken out there. Not all of it is really the words of the apostles. At the beginning of this book of Jude, he encourages them to remember the words of the apostles as a means of receiving strength and comfort. He actually started this letter by referencing the apostles' doctrine in verse 3. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, encouraging you. That's a strong encouragement to exhort. I strongly encourage you to contend earnestly. There again, strong language. Fight with all that you have, all that is within you, to contend earnestly for the faith 
Again, there are a lot of people out there saying today, well, it doesn't matter what you believe in as long as you believe in something. That's not really true either. There is one true faith in the world, on this planet, that will lead to relationship with God and eternal life. And that is the faith handed down to us by the Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the Old Testament patriarchs, the New Testament apostles, one true faith. He says, he exhorts us to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all. By whom? By the apostles. Acts 2.42. They, the early church, the early believers, continued steadfastly, there's another strong word, not half-heartedly, not, you know, casually, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, the entire New Testament obviously had not been written in Acts chapter 2. But the formational, foundational beliefs of the Christian faith had already been established at that point by the apostles. And then throughout the first century, all the way up until the writing of the last book of Revelation, the formational, foundational beliefs were expounded upon by you know Paul, James, Peter, the Apostle John, the writers of the New Testament. And so, the foundation of our faith was laid 2,000 years ago. And so even though this book of Jude was written about 2,000 years ago, it's totally applicable to us today. Jude is saying that the foundational, formational beliefs of the Christian faith, our doctrines were established in the very earliest days of the church. So I want to encourage everyone this morning, listening, watching, when we're facing doubt, turmoil, confusion, uncertainty, like the time that we're living in this very moment. In fact, I was talking to my son Adam yesterday back in South Carolina, and he mentioned something that I had already given some thought to, and that is, he said, in his lifetime, he's 33, and he said, well, I guess probably in your lifetime too, Dad, we've never experienced anything like this. And I had already had those thoughts. I've talked with some friends about that. Uh, in the number of years I've been on the earth, which I will not divulge, but it's quite a few. I definitely am a child of the uh, 60s, you might say, and even a little bit before that. Never experienced anything like this in our lives. Never this kind of a complete societal shutdown because of a virus. Whole new experience. Now, some people are taking it very lightly, and that's, that's their choice. I guess I'm somewhere in the middle. I wouldn't recommend watching the two movies I watched last week, Outbreak and Contagion. Especially Contagion. I was totally cool until I watched that movie. <laughs> I'm still cool, but not as cool. At any rate, we're in a time where there is doubt, turmoil, confusion, uncertainty. And for a lot of people, the greatest concern really is their economic well-being. Totally understandable. Hopefully our government will do all that they're trying to do, saying that they're going to do to help people. In the meantime, we need to hang together. We need to pray 
hard, strong for one another. And for really all the uh, small business people in our nation, all the service workers whose livelihoods depend largely on tips and so forth, a lot of businesses shutting down, people out of work, unemployed. Please keep those people in your thoughts and prayers, and we'll have a prayer at the end for all of this. But where do we go? First and foremost, and most importantly, where do we turn for comfort, strength, wisdom, and guidance? I would propose to you it's the Word of God. Psalms 119, 105. Your Word, David wrote and prayed many years ago, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. If you're saying, oh Lord, what do I do? Where do I, I don't know what to do. Where do I go? God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I don't know about you folks that are watching at home or wherever you are, but every time I read the word of God, I'm in some way enlightened and illuminated. God speaks to my heart and he promises to do that. Trust Him. Believe Him. And pray before you start. Father, as I open up Your Word, as I turn into Your Word, please speak to me. And He promises to do that. Jesus said He would send the Comforter, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit to teach us and to lead us into all truth. Psalms 119, go down a few verses. Verse 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in Your Word. It's okay to do that. You know, in some quarters, those who put such a strong emphasis on the Word of God, like we do here at Calvary Chapel, sometimes we get criticized, particularly by perhaps the more charismatic elements of the church that were being too rigid, too legalistic, too dogmatic. But look what God's Word says. I hope in your Word that's... Jesus is the Word. He's the very manifestation of the Word of God. But God has given us His Word in print, the Old and New Testament, handed down over thousands of years so that we might have His Word as a strong foundation to stand upon. I hope in your Word. God's Word is true. No matter how Great someone is, no matter how trustworthy, how reliable. We're all fallible. We're all human beings. We're all imperfect. The one person you can turn to that is totally infallible, totally perfect, totally reliable, totally trustworthy is God and His Word. He is not a man that He should lie. Psalms 107, verse 20. Listen to this. This is pretty cool. He sent out his word and healed them. I've heard more than one or two stories where people have, by the very act of reading the word of God, you know, with a sincere heart, with a desire to hear his voice, to get into touch with him. People have been saved. People who were lost just by reading God's word. No preacher around, no evangelist around, Nobody there to lead them in what we call a sinner's prayer like I prayed earlier. Just by reading God's Word, it's powerful, it's dynamic. You can get to know God by reading His Word and you can even be healed. Whether it's mentally, emotionally, 
physically. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Those are some words we really need to hear right now, aren't they? But the good news and the important thing is we prayed that prayer this morning for anybody who might be watching that did not know the Lord. Once you come to know him, once you enter into relationship with him, then there's no longer any fear of death or dying because we know the moment the physical body stops working, the spirit goes to be with him. And so we like to call death a promotion around here. And then there's 1 Peter 1.24. The grass withers, its flower falls away. And so now we're entering into that time where the grass is beginning to grow again and get green, but we know that in the fall, moving into winter, that grass is going to wither, it's going to die out. The flowers are going to shrivel. That beautiful time of spring, summer, gives way to fall and winter. So those things are temporary, aren't they? But the word of the Lord endures forever. Again, Jesus is the Word, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But again, God has given us His Word in printed form, handed down by the Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles. And for God, it's always right now. He is the God of eternity, the great I Am. He operates outside the realm of space and time. So His Word spoken to us within the context of time and human history has always existed and it always will. The word of the Lord endures forever. If you're going to put your hope and your faith in something, it should be something that endures forever. Would you agree? The word of the Lord. The things of this world are temporary. They may look great for a while, but eventually they're going to wither and die and fade away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Finally, Matthew 4, 4, he answered and said, Jesus did, it is written, notice Jesus is emphasizing the written word, man shall not live by bread alone, or toilet paper, isn't that one of the craziest things about this whole deal? In fact, I read where they arrested someone with a stolen trailer. Inside the stolen trailer was filled with toilet paper. I don't know where they were going with it. Crazy. Man shall not live by bread alone. That's what gives us our physical sustenance, right? But by, listen to this now, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And what is our primary source of all those words that proceed from the mouth of God. Now, you and I, again, are imperfect human beings. We have a lot of things that get in the way of us being able to hear the voice of God. God can and does speak to us by the Holy Spirit, by other believers who are in one accord. But first and foremost, the most reliable way in which we hear the voice of God is through the Scriptures. Man shall not live by physical sustenance alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Boy, I hope and pray that everybody watching, listening today 
has at least one Bible in their house. I can't imagine in the United States of America that wouldn't be true, but in the times we're living in, it's possible. If you're watching today and you don't have a Bible, then message us and we will send you one. You can also access the Bible online. Man, there's a lot of tremendous Bible resources online. You can get the whole Bible in a multitude of versions. Bible Gateway is a great resource. The Blue Letter Bible, there are a number of great sites where you can not only get the scriptures, you can get a lot of good study helps and so forth. So, but if you would like a hard copy Bible and you don't have one, message us and we'll get one to you. Okay, we're moving on to verse 18 of Jude chapter 1, the only chapter in Jude. Let's read verse 17 because it links together. You, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. There would be mockers. Now, Noah Webster, my favorite dictionary writer, if you will, 1828, back when people were still fairly fluent in the English language, Noah Webster defines a mocker as a scorner, a scoffer, and a derider, if you're familiar with those words. Pretty negative. A scorner, a scoffer, a derider. And again, keep in mind, Jude is talking about those men who have crept unnoticed into the church, bringing division, bringing false teachings, and so forth. And now, Jude ties them into this idea of mockery. And now you would normally think of mockery perhaps coming from the outside, those outside the church. And certainly those people exist, those who mock Christians, mock Christianity, and that's become more and more common in the times we're living in. I don't know if you've noticed, but so many of the TV programs now, the movies and so forth, tend to portray Christians and churches in a negative light. Have you noticed that? That's not by accident or coincidence. There was a time earlier in our nation's history when people wouldn't dare to do that, to mock God, to mock Christ, the church, His people, but now it's commonplace and it's popular, it's accepted. But I want to remind you again, these men, these, the word these, we see it over and over again, had crept into the church. They were undermining from within. So their brand of mockery, again, the types of mockery that I was just describing from outside, the non-believers, the TV, the movies, and so forth, internet, that mockery is easy to recognize, it's easy to identify, but the brand of mockery that Jude is speaking of here with these creeps, it's not to outright mock God, but to scoff, deride, mock, and scorn the tried and true time-tested teachings of the church as handed down by the apostles, as I was speaking of earlier, the apostles' doctrine. And I shared not too long ago here on a Sunday morning some of the negative comments that we get on Google. I found out recently that a lot of the negative stuff that comes through our church email, website, and so forth, 
My wife happens to be our church secretary. She screens it out so I don't see it. I guess there's a lot more than I realized. But people get really upset when we speak the truth. They want the Word of God, the Gospel, to be softened, if you will, edited. You know, with all the stuff that's been happening recently in our nation and our government, all the investigations and so forth, we've probably all become pretty familiar with the term redacted, right? All these documents, they're trying to get to the bottom of these things. Who started the, uh, the Russian collusion delusion and so forth? And then we find out, well, they subpoenaed the FBI or some other organization for documents, but then they got them and it was so heavily redacted they couldn't tell what was in there, right? Who did what, where, when, why, and how? Half of it's redacted. Pretty convenient if you're on the um, shady side of things. Well, many people today want the Word of God redacted, right? We go through and we, we mark out the word sin. We mark out the word confession and repentance and blood and so forth to soft soap, soft pedal the Word of God and the Gospel of Christ. And so, these scoffers, these mockers, these scorners, these deriders, Jude is saying we shouldn't be shocked and we shouldn't be surprised. And as we've seen over and over again through this book of Jude, much of it parallels the writings of Peter in his first and second epistles. Second Peter 3, 3 through 4, Beloved, same thing that Jude just said, But you, my beloved, agapatoi, Beloved, I now write to you in this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of what? Reminder, there's that word again. And so there are some that would say, well, why do we keep studying the Bible over and over again, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book? Why? Because we all need to be reminded. The only person I know that's even come close to memorizing the Bible, the whole Bible, would be Jack Van Impey, who passed away recently. They used to call him the walking Bible or the living Bible. He's with the Lord now. Most people do not have large, vast amounts of scriptures committed to memory. Although we find, again, when we need those passages, the Holy Spirit will bring them to our remembrance, but that's provided we've taken the time to read them in the first place, right? So Peter says, I write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds. That's a nice thing to say, isn't it? Peter is giving us the benefit of the doubt that we have pure minds. And we do as long as we continue to confess our sins, repent before God, let Him wash and cleanse us by the renewing of our minds. He says that you be mindful of the words which were spoken by the holy prophets, so that would be the Old Testament, and of the commandment of us, the apostles, New Testament, of the Lord and Savior, the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So be mindful, Peter says, of the Old Testament writings, the New Testament writings, knowing this first, so of primary importance, according to Peter, scoffers will come when? 
in the last days. That's what Jude just told us. In the last time, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? Oh, Jesus isn't coming. You Christians have been saying that forever. It's not going to happen. Again, we see the significant parallels between the writings of Jude and Peter. Maybe they were both inspired by the same Holy Spirit, do you think? So let me point this out. There have always been scoffers and mockers on the outside of the church. It's the ones on the inside that can really do damage. Matthew 12, 25, Jesus is every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. So what's the enemy's strategy? When the church is bombarded from the outside with mockery, scoffing, deriding, criticism, you know what happens to the church? It gets stronger. It gets stronger. We come together. But when it happens from the inside, the devil's desire is to bring division. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And so one of the common terms we hear in the church world is church split. You ever heard that one? And a lot of people get hurt by that. They leave church. They stop going to church. They go through a terrible church split. And they're so hurt by it and so confused by it that they just give up on church. That's the devil's goal. That's the devil's desire. But I want to point out something else very important here. This phrase that Jude uses, and Peter uses it too. Peter says, in the last days. Jude says, in the last time. Again, there have always been scoffers, mockers, false prophets, false teachers. Both outside and inside the church. But Jude and the other New Testament writers including Jesus, who didn't actually write any of the New Testament, but a lot of it is quoting his words. It's about him, all four Gospels. All of these New Testament writers and the words of Christ that they recorded all warned that these things would be multiplied and magnified in the last days. Now, as I just mentioned, whereas in times past, people would be very reluctant to openly, publicly criticize the God of the Bible, the Bible, those who believe in God and His Word. You wouldn't see that in movies or television or what have you. In fact, back in what some people call the golden age of filmmaking, the golden age of television, quite often biblical stories and stories of faith were portrayed in a positive light. Now, we do have some Christian film companies today, Pure Flicks being one of them. And so we're thankful for actually being an increase in the release of faith-based films. But overall, the entertainment industry and other related industries are more and more portraying God, Christ, the church in a very negative light. I believe this is another indicator that we are in the last days, the last times, because both Peter and Jude, and others warned that this would happen when? In the last days. If you look back over the course of human history, more people seem to believe in God, believe in Christ, believe in His return 
than what we find today. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he even find faith on the earth? Peter says they're going to mock and say, where's the promise of his coming? And when you have a world filled with people who no longer have a concern or a belief in the second coming of Christ, then they feel free to do just whatever they want. 2 Timothy 3, 3 through 7. I'd like to thank the few that are here watching live. We've got our crew here, the worship team, uh, some of the elders and so forth, sound crew. You're getting this live stream because there are people here doing that for you. So pray for them. Keep them in your hearts and minds. Anyway, 2 Timothy 3, 3. But know this, writes Paul. So we have Peter, we have Jude, now we have Paul. In the last days... And by the way, all the New Testament writers, the apostles and so forth, Jude wasn't an apostle. He was a half-brother of Jesus. They all believed, one, that Christ was going to return, two, that there would be a time in human history called the last days, the last days of this present age. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. What age? This present age, we call it the age of man, when God has given man several thousand years to see what he could do with this world, with this planet, and it's proven we don't do real great. So Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make all things beautiful, all things good. He's given us time to see what we could do on our own and it hasn't gone that great. And all the New Testament writers believed in these things. That there would literally be a time in human history that would be the last days of this current age. The next age, now that term, the new age, has been co-opted by people who wear crystals, tinfoil hats, and so forth. But the real new age is the millennial reign of Christ on the earth. The new age of Jesus, not the age of Aquarius, the age of Jesus Christ on the throne, ruling over this planet. And it's going to be awesome. And you don't want to miss it. And the way you do not miss it is by doing what we've already encouraged you with this morning. Receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. In the last days, perilous times will come. I suppose this time we're in right now could be described as perilous, could it not? Again, when we evaluate the current situation in the light of previous pandemics, we're really not that bad yet. But it does seem to be accelerating exponentially. There are some that say this coronavirus is three times more infectious than the regular flu. So only God knows where it will lead. Therefore, we need to keep our eyes on Him. Right? Perilous times will come. But in spite of this current situation with the coronavirus, there are many other perilous things going on on the planet. The, the situation in the Middle East, China. There is um, volatile situations all over the planet. And again, we see, even in spite of all the modern advances and technology and medicine and so forth, how quickly something like this can accelerate. Part of that is due to the fact that we have this worldwide mass transit going on with 
being able to fly all over the world in a matter of hours. And by the way, in Daniel chapter 12, another one of the signs of the last days, the angel told Daniel, men would travel to and fro about the earth. Prior to the 20th century, man could never travel faster than 20 miles per hour. They announced here just, I saw it last night on the news, a new supersonic missile that can travel five times the speed of sound. Five times the speed of sound. Remember, for some of us older folks, how amazing it was when we first broke the sound barrier? That happened in our lifetimes. Now they have a supersonic missile that was just launched. The first one was just test launched. Five times the speed of sound. We're living in the days that Daniel was told about several thousand years ago. The last days when men would travel to and fro about the earth. And it seems like a great thing. This mass travel that we now can have. Businessmen can fly from New York to London, matter of hours. Paris, you name it. The West Coast to Asia, Australia. Seems great, doesn't it? But now what are we finding out? All this globalism may not be so great after all. 90% of our medicines and medical supplies are made in China and India and other places. And now we can't get them. Globalization is another sign of the last days. Mass travel. People from all over the world. So a virus starts in China. Next thing you know, it's all over the planet. Because of rapid transit. Airplanes. And so... As I've said so many times recently, man's progress always has a downside. God's progress never does. And we're experiencing the downside of it right now. In the last days, perilous times will come. The other thing that the angel told Daniel, one, men would travel to and fro. Secondly, knowledge would increase. The increase of knowledge in the last hundred years is astronomical. And now it's increasing at an ever-rapid rate, moment by moment by moment. We've got artificial intelligence. We've got computers that can think faster than we can and figure out things that we can't. We're living in the days that were prophesied by Daniel. Rapid transit all over the world and a vast increase in knowledge. There's an upside and there's a downside. The downside is that all of this would result in perilous times. For men will be lovers of themselves. Oh no, that couldn't possibly be happening today, could it? Lovers of money. Oh no, no way, right? Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Oh no, all the kids today are just amazingly obedient, right, to their parents. All the spring breakers out there twerking and twitching on the beach unthankful maybe this whole scenario will result in a little more thankfulness you think maybe hopefully unholy now we're hoping and praying that all of this will lead to a spiritual revival not only in our nation but all over the world so far I'm not seeing any strong indicators again we really, really have relatively few deaths so far. And as we've seen in the past, unless it touches your life directly, you're not really fully comprehending the severity of the issue, right? Whether it be 911, 
The people in New York City certainly felt it. All those who had loved ones who were there in the Twin Towers when they were attacked and collapsed, they had a strong sense of what was going on. But for the rest of the world, it almost seemed surreal, not quite real, and we're so insulated by all of the TV, movies, video games. A lot of people have a hard time separating fantasy from reality. And I think that's why you saw a lot of these young people out on spring break partying on the beaches and so forth. Because even though we see it every day on the television, if they haven't been touched personally by it, a friend, a family member, or they themselves contracting the virus, it doesn't really seem real. It seems like another movie or video game, right? That's another downside of all this modern technology. People having a harder and harder time to discern reality from fantasy. Hence, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. And here's where it ties in with what we're studying in Jude. Again, is Paul giving this prophetic message to Timothy about the last days? Is it about non-believers or people who identify as believers? Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. I would propose that there are many, many people in the world today like that. A form of godliness. They might identify as believers. They might go to church. They might know some Christian terminology. But they're denying the power of the blood of Christ to truly transform, to save lives, to forgive sin, to give us the gift of eternal life. Denying the power, just like these who crept into the church unnoticed, undermining the apostles' doctrine, having a form of godliness. And that, again, they are the most dangerous. The blatant, outright heathen and pagan. I wrote a song many years ago, I just can't sit. I got to stand up for my Jesus. And it's easier to preach when you're standing up too. But anyway, I love the Lord. I love his word. I love teaching and preaching the word. People within the church who are divisive, who are bringing false doctrines and false teachings, who are mocking, deriding those who stand firm for the truth are far more dangerous than those mocking from the outside. I'll take a blatant, open, honest pagan any day over a creep in the church. And so I believe this warning from Paul to Timothy... And again, really it's prophetic because it relates specifically to the last days. It's about those having a form of godliness but denying its power. And Paul says to Timothy, from such people turn away. But today now you're called a hater. You know, you're not being loving. You need to just accept people where they're at. Now, yes, we need to love people right where they're at. But not accept it when they're trying to turn people away from the truth. From such people turn away. Again, God would rather have you hang out with a blatant, outright pagan than somebody who claims to be a believer who's undermining the church. Do you believe that? I believe that. I know that. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 5, 
Paul tells the believers in Corinth, don't hang out with a person who claims to be a believer but does all these sinful things. He says, I'm not talking about the people in the world. I'm talking about those in the church. He says, God will deal with those outside the church, but we have a responsibility as believers to reject those who mock, deride, undermine the church and God's word. We can't win non-believers to Christ unless we show them the love of Christ, right? But we're to deal differently with those in the church having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people turn away. Now here, here's where it gets really interesting. Verse 6. For of this sort are those who, are you ready for it? Creep. This sort are those who creep. Just like Jude said, they've crept into the church. They creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. And we've seen these various cult leaders, David Koresh, Moses David Berg, children of God, all these different ones. Even in his own way, Charles Manson, the bulk of his followers were females. And Manson did claim that, uh, I think he might have even laid claim to being the Messiah, to being Jesus at one point. He was definitely very demonic, very deceived, and thought he was called to engage in some kind of end times apocalyptic war. This sort of those who creep into households, now they can creep in through the TV, through the internet. And make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts. These creeps, now being referred to as creeps not only by Jude but by Paul, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. We talked last week about practicing righteousness or practicing sin. So these guys are ever learning how to get better at sinning at being deceptive, at misleading people and undermining the church, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth because they've rejected it. Like Jude, Paul also warns us about the creeps. Sounds like a horror movie, doesn't it? Not, then you could have the creeps 2, the creeps 3. And then Jude goes on to say, in the last time, who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. And that's exactly what we've read here in 2 Timothy as Paul is describing the scenario to Timothy who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Jude continues to emphasize that these, quote, these are totally motivated by self-gratification, self-interests. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If my, anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is a challenge for every believer. There's a lot of things about this world that on their surface seem very desirable and very easy to love, but we're warned. Do not love the world. And it's, Paul, um, John is talking about the world system, masterminded by Satan himself. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father 
is not in him. Wow, that's heavy. For all that is in the world. And then John gives us these three key things. The lust of the flesh, all those desires that are churning around inside of us. The lust of the eyes, what we see that looks desirable just like Eve in the garden. She saw that fruit, that forbidden fruit. Lucifer in the form of the serpent is there tempting her, enticing her. And the Word of God tells us in Genesis 3 that she saw that it was good to look at, good to eat, and she took it. And it resulted in the fall of the human race. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Contrary to the life of the believer, humble, broken before God, acknowledging our need for Him, our weakness, the pride of life. I'm a self-made man, self-made woman. I can do it on my own. I don't need God or anybody else. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, doesn't come from God, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, just like we read the writings of Peter. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The world is passing away. It's foolish to fall in love with something that's not going to be around. It's passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So it basically breaks down. In fact, we saw this again with the spring breakers. A lot of them were saying, well, if I get the coronavirus, I get it. I don't care. I want to party. I'm here to party, and I'm going to do it. If I get it, I get it. And so even some of the news were pointing out that they were sacrificing potential long-term results, that they might get it and even die for a momentary gratification. And that's the challenge for every human being on the face of this planet. Are we willing to make some sacrifices? And really, they're not even that big of sacrifices. They seem to be. Are we willing to say no to the flesh, no to those de desires that could, could provide some momentary, instantaneous gratification? Are we willing to say no to those in favor of an eternity in paradise with the God of all creation? It sounds like a no-brainer, doesn't it? But so many people struggle with that. It's so much easier to go for right, what's right there in front of you right now because we can't see heaven. We can, as we read the Word of God and we allow the Holy Spirit to enlighten us and illuminate us, we can get a picture. It's pretty incomplete. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, Now we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when we see Him face to face, we will know Him even as we are known. That's called faith. Hebrews 11, without faith it's impossible to please God. We must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. It's short-term sacrifice for long-term gain. But it's not really sacrifice because almost all of these things, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the gratification of the flesh, ultimately in the short term it might feel good, in the long term it's very destructive. Now they're saying that with the Marijuana we have today, the THC and so forth, one-time usage can lead to a psychotic break. And yet, more and more states are legalizing it, right? It's being promoted. 
And even, you know, the CBD portion is promoted as a health benefit and so forth. One usage of marijuana could lead to a psychotic break. They've also got a lot of studies showing the long-term effects, negative effects. And yet it's being promoted today as this great beneficial thing. I think it was Isaiah that prophesied the time would come when they would call good evil and evil good. Now all the things that we know to be evil are being called good and all the things we know that are good are being called evil. By the way, in the midst of this shutdown, they're saying no non-essential surgeries, dental procedures, no kind of non-essential medical procedures. They're going to focus on those people who have been infected, which makes sense. However, the one procedure that they're not discontinuing, do you know what it is? Abortion. Abortion. They're saying that that's essential. What does that tell you about our world today? It tells you everything you need to know. We can't help anybody else with a health situation. Our beloved Lawrence Harmeal recently had his gallbladder removed. That probably would have been postponed. But, any woman who's needing or desiring an abortion can still get it. As concerned as we are and should be about saving lives during this virus outbreak, we're still prepared to continue killing babies in the womb. Do you think we're in the last days that these writers are speaking of? I certainly do. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. How do we know that we know God? Well, I feel like I know Him. He gives me a lot of warm, fuzzy feelings. No, it says we keep His commandments. He who says I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. Ouch! And the truth is not in Him. I hate to say it, this passage would disqualify a lot of people. Again, I mentioned this last week. None of us are perfect. We're still practicing righteousness daily, making the effort, learning how to become more and more righteous. But if you're not practicing righteousness, then what are you probably practicing? The opposite. According to John, if you're not keeping God's commandments... That doesn't mean perfectly every time, every day, because none of us can do that. That's why Jesus died on the cross. But if you're making no effort whatsoever to obey God, and you're just resting on your laurels, that well, I prayed a sinner's prayer one time, so now I'm good to go, I would recommend that you not do that. He who does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Because chances are, if you're not keeping God's commandments you're probably not in the Word. Because the Word of God will convict you. The Holy Spirit will empower the Word of God as you study it, as you read it. The Holy Spirit will convict your heart and you will turn from your sin and you will follow God. You will obey God. So the truth is not in you if you're not obeying Him. But whoever keeps His Word, you keep it, you hold on to it, you hang on to it, you observe it. You don't toss it out. I don't really need to study the Bible. I'm saved. That's good enough. 
Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And that's an ongoing process. We're being perfected as we walk with God on a daily basis. But the ultimate conclusion to that perfection will be when we see Jesus face to face. And we will be made like him. That's the goal. Truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we're in him. In spite of the ups and downs, sometimes it's one step forward, two steps back. Hopefully most of the time it's two steps forward, one step back. But it's an ongoing process. By this we know that we're in him, that we can objectively practice self-examination and see at least some evidence in our lives that we're moving in the right direction. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. We talked about this last week. In the Bible, our relationship with God is referred to as a walk. And the Bible also says that we can be walking in the flesh or we can be walking in the spirit. Adam walked with God in the Garden of Eden until they disobeyed God and they fell into sin. Now we're called, we're renewed, we're restored in Christ, and we're called to once again walk with Him, to walk just as He, Jesus, walked. I mentioned that song that I wrote, I want to walk like Jesus walks. Here's the last verse, 19. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. Noah Webster defines sensual as carnal. We have the Spanish word carne, right? Flesh. Sensual persons are carnal. It pertains to the flesh or body in opposition to the spirit. Not spiritual or holy. And Webster also uses this word to define sensual. Today's world, that's kind of a cool word. Ooh, wow. They're really sensual, man. That Webster uses the word Evil, devoted to the gratification of sense, the five senses, touch, taste, smell, feel, so forth, visual, given to the indulgence of the appetites. These are sensual persons. Jude has emphasized that several times that their whole motivation is self-gratification. They cause divisions. Now, as believers, we're called to strive for unity and harmony in the body of Christ. But these, quote, these, these creeps, these dreamers, these blemishes, these clouds without water, they have the exact opposite mission. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Paul says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. That's not what these creeps do. They come in and they try to bring in different teachings, different doctrines, undermine the people's belief, respect, and support for the pastors, the leaders, turn people against one another. I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And again, we have so many different teachings going on out there. How do do we accomplish this? Because we have to stick to the Word of God. Not the words of men. Not the latest and greatest fad doctrines coming down the pike. We stick to the Word of God. 
Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, where the Bible is silent, I am silent. May we all strive to be like that. 1 Corinthians 11, 18 and 19. In the first place, Paul writes, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. And so, again, God's disapproval rests on those who are sowing discord, division, strife, undermining. If you are promoting unity, harmony, oneness, you have God's approval. Otherwise, you don't. So Jude says these are sensual persons who cause divisions and not having the Spirit. The irony here, folks, is that often ones like these that Jude is describing have the outward appearance of being the most spiritual ones in the church. But it's a false spirituality. You see, those in the church who are open, honest, and real are sometimes deemed to be unspiritual. We don't act holy enough. We don't use all the proper Christianese dialogue and dialect. While the fake, phony creeps tend to get all the accolades. Why? Because of all the things we've talked about today. Their goal is to draw people to themselves, not to Jesus. Our goal should be to draw people to Him. The Bible says that he, if He be lifted up from the earth, He would draw all men to Himself. But one of the telltale signs with these creeps, they want to draw people to themselves. Therefore, in order to do that, they mock, they undermine, they criticize, so that you will turn from following the leaders that God has actually raised up and established and follow them. Not having the Spirit, they often appear to be the most spiritual ones in the church. But it's a false spirituality. Sometimes I'm a little taken aback by when I hear a believer using a slightly off-color word. But at the same time, you know what? I think, well, they're being real. I don't encourage it or promote it. But at least you know they're not faking it, right? We're all capable of doing that from time to time. It's the super spiritual ones that ought to scare us. I'm serious. Who were the super spiritual ones in Jesus' day? The Pharisees? The Sadducees? And when I say super spiritual, I don't mean that in a true spirituality. You know what I'm talking about. The fake, phony spirituality. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. James three thirteen through 17. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct, not by verbiage, that his words are done in the meekness of wisdom. True wisdom is meek. It's not ostentatious, arrogant, prideful. True wisdom is meek. What do we read in the Old Testament? Be quick to listen and slow to speak, right? But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, Do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, 
confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Next week we move on to verse 20. And again, it's, but you, beloved. So James started out addressing his beloved, the believers. He turns back to even more descriptive phrases of these who creep in. And now he's going to go back again next week to the believer. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Let's stand, guys, those that are here, and we'll pray. Let's pray. Father God. Thank you for your word. It's powerful. It's dynamic. And Lord, it is the rock upon which we stand. Because you are our rock. And you have revealed yourself to us, made yourself known to us through the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament. Lord, when all else fails, and it will, we know that we can always trust in you and your word. Lord, we read this morning that we're to put our hope in your word. Lord, men... Do their best. Not all men do, but some do. Many do. We have a lot of people right now, Father, doing their best to get us through this time of crisis. Working night and day, Father, to come up with, with vaccines, with treatments, with all the resources that are needed to combat this virus. People who are putting their own lives on the line in the medical community, people in the food industry, truckers and so forth, a lot of people out there, Father, people working in the grocery stores, the pharmacies, putting their own lives on the line by continuing to go out into the public realm to serve the rest of our society. We pray for your strength, your protection upon them, Lord, as they do that, as they put themselves out there for the rest of us. And we know many are doing that. But Lord, when push comes to shove... There's only one place we can go where we will never be disappointed, where we will never be let down, and that's you and your word. Help us to remember that. Help us to put our hope, our trust, our faith in you, God, and ultimately in you alone. Thank you, Father, for the sustenance that we receive from your word, the daily bread, the strengthening of our souls. Father, we thank you for all the wonderful, glorious promises in your word. Lord, help us to be focusing on that, those at this time. And we do pray right now, Father, first for everyone afflicted with this virus all over the world, and particularly, especially those right here in the United States of America. Lord, we do have a care and a concern for everyone on this planet. We know that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in you would not perish but have everlasting life. We pray that you would blanket this world with your spirit and that many would be drawn to Christ and receive him as their Lord and Savior. And we pray that those who are now afflicted, Lord, you would bring recovery, healing, deliverance, and that you would slow the spread of this virus, not only here in America, but all over the planet. But we pray, God, that we would see a flattening, a leveling off of the spread of the virus here in the United States, that very soon people would be able to get back to work, back to school, back to life as normal. But Lord, we know it's all subject to your perfect will, your sovereignty, your timing. Your ways are not our ways. 
And Lord, we know that your purposes will be accomplished through all this. And we ask that you'd help us to keep our eyes on you, on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, we want to be like Job, who said, no matter what, I'll praise you. No matter what may come our way, we will praise you, we will thank you, we will honor you. And Lord, we know that because we've put our faith, hope, trust in you, that we have no fear of death. Because that's a promotion for those who know you. And that we will be with you for all eternity. But once again, Father, in closing, we pray for all those today who may be watching that may not know you, that today they would embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, just continue through this perilous time to draw men, women, boys, and girls to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.